G'day. Welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name is Russ McCumber, and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners. We interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders, many from leading search technology brands, plus the world's foremost SEO educators. They'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey, as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. All right, welcome to another episode of SEO Success Stories. Today, I've got with me Nathan Gotch. He is the founder and head of the Gotch SEO Academy. G'day, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. No worries at all. Now, we talk about having the world's leading SEO practitioners, educators, thought leaders. We've got probably a mix of all three here with Nathan today. So it's going to be really interesting talking about his experience, his history. He's been doing this a long time. What's prompted him to, to start an SEO academy? He's pretty active on LinkedIn. He's probably on other channels as well, but I've been following him on LinkedIn. Some of the stuff he says is very black and white, and I love it. And we're going to get into some of those. Before we get to those, though, the question that I do ask every guest when they're on, is, Nathan, what do you feel is the biggest challenge facing SEOs in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone's pretty aware of the biggest change that's happening is definitely AI. I mean, it's it's pretty much what everyone's talking about at this point. So, you know, we can go down many different avenues how that's going to affect things. But I think as far as the biggest impact is just going to be on, and I actually posted about this today on LinkedIn, believe it or not. But the one thing that I really see is going to change is the fact that you should no longer target keywords that have very simple answers. So for example, if you're going to target something like what time is it in St. Louis or how long does it take to record or how long does it take to upload a three minute video on YouTube? Okay. Those types of queries should just be avoided altogether because at the end of the day, AI is going to be able to answer those in seconds. So there's just going to be no reason to even be creating content around those particular queries. So what we need to do, and this is really important for any business, is that you need to focus on keywords that are really subjective in nature and have kind of multi-pronged answers. So which would make it difficult for AI to kind of replicate because it just doesn't have the experience and the nuance and ultimately anything that's subjective in nature, like the best restaurant in St. Louis, there's no real answer to that. Right. I mean, you could, everyone has their own opinion. It could be different based on your background and where you live. And there's just so many variables that will determine the answer to that. So that's how you can, I don't want to say be AI because AI can beat us in many ways, yeah. but at least be able to compete in search. I think that's where kind of the focus needs to be is like, what are these queries where we can really deliver something that an AI wouldn't be able to do? So. Yeah, I like that. I like that. We're going to talk a bit about ChatGPT. If we think about like the user experience, that type of content is, Top of, top of funnel traffic generating type content as opposed to real value. So potentially, yeah, maybe we just need to rethink the way we look at that top of funnel. Yeah, I think so. Cool. For sure. Excellent. Okay, so for today, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. I want, I want to dig into your history. I want to find out a bit more about yourself and how you got into this. And then we'll get into the academy and then just some other broader things. There's a lot happening in SEO right now with, with AI and with just the way people are viewing SEO in 2023 with the economic downturn and the like. So we're going to get into that, but let's rewind, take a step back. And I'd love to hear about how you first got into marketing. What, what was your first, let's, let's start with, unless it was the same thing, I'd love to know your first marketing gig or your first SEO gig. Yeah, my story is kind of interesting. So I was, I was in college as my junior year. So it's like 2011. 
And my, my path was either going to be, I was going to go into law enforcement or I was going to be a lawyer. So something in the law arena. And to be honest, that was kind of where my family was pushing me to go. But for me, I was really like, I just always wanted to do something online. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to do something. And that's because I, I spent like all of middle school and high school just playing online video games. So I played, you know, Counter-Strike and World of Warcraft and Warcraft 3 and all these things. I just played them nonstop. In fact, I played them way more than I ever did my homework. So, but I just loved the internet. Like I was even on in the early days of YouTube, like when there was, like you couldn't even find anything on YouTube. Like you'd search something like, oh, there's nothing here. And you'd have to watch some strange video. So like, I always was just loved the internet, but I had no idea that it would lead to where I am now. But so in 2011, I did the classic search that many people have, which is how do I make money online? And that's what I did. I, I, I found of all kinds of stuff. I found all different tactics. I, I started doing paid surveys. And so I would spend like hours and hours doing these paid surveys and I'd make like $3 an hour. And then they wouldn't even pay me out anyway. So it was like this whole thing. So I was like, I don't think this is really the path I'm going to do long term. So yeah. then I started, I started writing articles to get paid. So like e-zine articles, street articles, these are kind of like these older things where you would literally write articles and they would give you a little percentage of the AdSense revenue. So I did that, made pennies, of course. Eventually I was like, all right, this is not going to work. I need to find something. So I stumbled upon this course and it was called Web Colleagues. I don't know if it's still around, but at the time it had all these different tactics for making money online. And there were all kinds in there. Like they talked about paid survey, they talked about writing articles, but there was one in there that really stood out to me, which was blogging. And I was like, wow, I could start a blog and like actually make money. That made, that made sense to me. I was like, I'll just, but the problem was I had no skills. <laughs> so I was like, I need to figure out what I'm going to create a blog about. Cause I'm just a college student doesn't really know anything here. But the one thing I did know was I was on my college baseball team. I was a baseball pitcher on my team. And so I was like, well, I know how to do that. I know how to throw a baseball. So I started a baseball pitching blog and as many people experience when they start a new blog, it was a ghost town. I was, I was pumping out content all the time. Like I was working on my blog more than I was working on my college homework. Like I was just like pumping yeah. things out and I was just getting no traffic at all because I didn't know what I was doing. And so then of course that led me to like, all right, how do I get more traffic to my blog? And then eventually I stumbled upon SEO and I'm like, whoa, I can like drive traffic from Google. Like it was like a, a huge revelation to me. I was like, this is crazy. I can do this. So then I adjusted my strategy and changed the content I was creating. And then eventually I started to actually get like real organic traffic from Google. And then I'll never forget. It was probably 2012. It was the, the winter of 2012 when I made my first affiliate commission. And I was actually going out for bowling one night. And I still remember I looked at my phone. I was like, oh my gosh, I made $47. And it was like, <laughs> and it was like, it blew my mind. It was like, that's great. And that was it. That's all it took for me. I was like, I'm, this is, it. this is what I'm doing forever. And so I just like doubled down on that blog. But the weird thing was like, that blog was making decent money. But for me, it was really the excitement of SEO that really was like the thing that got me going. So then I just started creating multiple websites. I created sites in many sites in the fitness space. I created an undercounter ice maker reviews website. It was all over the place. But it was the weird thing was that I was creating these just to kind of get better at SEO because I knew long term that I would want to eventually be able to offer this to businesses because I knew that was a really good way to make money. And so I did that. I kept creating these sites, kept getting better at SEO. And then leading into 2000, I graduated in 2012. And then leading into 2013, I had to work this like horrible security jobs, oddball jobs all the time. And I hated it, but, but I, I would go, I'd wake up at 4am to drive to Beverly Hills to, you know, be in Beverly Hills for this job that I started at nine. But from that time, when I got to Beverly Hills from six to nine, I would just work on my SEO stuff. 
So yeah. I'd just be in Starbucks, just busting out things. And then I'd have my lunch break and I'd work on SEO again. And then I would stay in Beverly Hills because the traffic was so extreme to get back to my house. So I would just work again from six to nine at night. And I did this for a year straight, just working on my SEO projects. It was pretty brutal, but fortunately, and most people may not view this the same way as I do, but fortunately I got laid off from that, that security job. And I was like, well, here's my opportunity. And There's so- a single swim. <laughs> Yeah. So I was like, and I, and my wife, but girlfriend at the time lived in St. Louis. We met in college out here. So then I decided I'm going to move to St. Louis. I'm going to try to find an SEO job. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking I was going to start an SEO business right away. I wanted to just like get a, you know, like everyone does try to get a decent income just so I can work on my side projects. I applied for every single SEO job in St. Louis, every single one. Like I, I, every company, every job, I got one interview and I did not get the job. So, so this is October, 2013. I'm here in St. Louis. I have no clients, no job, and I'm living in my mother-in-law's house. So, so I'm like, this is, this is risky. But then what I did, I was like, you know, I'm just going to go for it. So I decided that I was just going to just start my SEO business and try to get as many clients as I could. And so I immediately went onto Craigslist and started applying for every single gig that existed for SEO. I started answering questions on Quora and then I was like, well, why don't I just use my SEO skills to rank for keywords where clients could potentially find me? Mm -hmm. So then I started ranking for St. Louis SEO, St. Louis SEO company. And then- How, within... how long did that take? Sorry, just quickly. How long did that take from you? you to, you're on Craigslist and you're like, okay, I need to start drumming up some business for myself. Yeah. People are searching for SEO agencies. Like that must've taken some time. To rank or to figure that part out? Yeah. At that time, it was much faster. So this is 2013 where things were, you know, you could rank much faster. So it probably only took me a few months to get to where I needed to be. But I, my first couple of clients came through Craigslist and they were decent, but I was charging so little. So I was able to just close deals because I, I knew I needed to charge a little to build my portfolio. So I got some from Craigslist, got some from Quora, but then it really started to take off when I started to get leads from that St. Louis SEO page. And I actually had a page ranking in Santa Monica as well, California one in Glendale as well and in Beverly Hills. So I had I had you know multiple of these kind of geo-targeted pages which they still rank 10 years later. But uh, but yeah, so then I went from like 0 to $3,000 a month in like maybe a month and a half. And I was like I'm rich. Like I, <laughs> I, I, immediately I was like this I'm rich. I don't need to do anything else. Like that's yeah. that's all I needed because I was like all I needed was 3 grand and I'd be able to survive, be able to move out of the mother-in-law's house, get my own apartment. And so that's what happened. I moved out, got my apartment. And of course, I was still kind of like a little scared. I'm like, what if this kind of just like clients fired me tomorrow? Like what's going to happen? So, but it's I think it's good to have a little bit of fire lit under you because it makes you work. You you instead of like overthinking things and doing stupid stuff, you're like, no, I need to like focus on the thing that's going to drive more clients. So then within about 6 months, I was up to $10,000 a month just from from all the leads I was getting in. And I was I don't know, I guess I was able to close them pretty well just cuz my retainers were so low. I was I was and charging are you, are you just a solo consultant at this point or are you bringing on people like to to get the work? I was by myself. You're doing yeah, all the was, work. Yeah, yeah. I was by myself. I did have I did have a VA in the early days and I was kind of outsourcing some stuff, but it was mainly me doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So okay. it was hard. Yeah. I was working sixteen hours a day trying yeah. to deliver this work. And what so, sort yeah, of size pretty... were those retainers? Like how many how many clients oh, were talking into ten grand? This is the embarrassing part. So it ranged because I, I had a lot of white label engagements. So I had like, you know, SEO companies would use me to deliver the work. And then, so I never communicate directly with the client, but I worked kind of as with the middleman basically. But I, they'd send me like 10 clients and I'd charge, you know, 250 a month or $500 a month. 
maybe even as, even as high as maybe a thousand dollars a month at the time. But that was like, that was big money for me at the time. So yeah, it was all in that range in the beginning. And so it was these little small deals that kind of just compounded. But then I realized I'm like, I can't, I, there's no way I could sustain this. Like it would just got so difficult. So then I realized like, I need to start raising my prices. So eventually it was like, I'm only doing it for a minimum of a thousand dollars. Right. And then that's kind of where it went. Then in 2000, 15, I brought my, my best friend from college on and I brought my, my wife on as well. So they were actually working in-house for me, but they both, both have moved on to different things since then. But, but that's where I started to kind of get a little more infrastructure and then got a little bit easier. And then I just focused on client SEO from 2000, so 2013 all the way until 2016. And I, I think I launched Gotcha SEO, the first version of Gotcha SEO Academy in 2016. Cool. Um, let's get let's get yeah. there in a moment. I'm, I want to so, dig in on that because yeah. you were doing that writing beforehand. Then you started writing the blogs. It sounds like the writing part of it came naturally, but then you've got to learn a lot of technical bits and pieces. Was that something that came naturally, or did you? Was there a lot of YouTube learning and like how did you pick up the more technical elements? Yeah, I mean, I will admit, like writing definitely comes easy to me. Like, and I think it's because of my my degree in political science, I had to write like all the time like we just we it, out of all the degrees in my school like we had to write the most out of anyone so i think that helped me kind of just develop at least the habit of writing but as you know writing in a formal educational format versus writing for blogs is very different like so different so i had to kind of rework my my writing style to be more kind of direct response a little more snappy a little more engaging right so and also a lot more simple it needed to be very simple not complex and so yeah, I would. I mean, if you go back and look at my old like pitching blog in 2011, like my writing style is very similar to my writing style now. It's kind of loose. It's kind of, I would say I'm definitely like out of the gate a little bit better at that. But then all the technical stuff I had to learn completely. Like we can obviously different elements of technical SEO, but you know, even on the link building side, like at the time I was heavily doing gray hat SEO because I just didn't do, I didn't understand outreach. I didn't understand relationship building. Like I didn't understand any of that, nor did I want to because all the other stuff was working, right? It I works. mean, I, This is the thing I speak to a lot of SEOs. Most SEOs I speak to will, will readily admit that that's what you did. You bought links, yeah. you, you, you know, built PBNs. That's how the sites ranked. Every now and then I'll speak to one who'll go, no, I never did anything black hat. And I'd say, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, see, I, I, have a hard, I have a hard time trusting someone like that because it's like, that's yeah. all that work. Like, why would you do the hard way when that was, was SEO? Yeah. yeah. And so I, at that time, I'd say from 2011 until 2015 or so, it was, I was pretty much all web 2.0s, PBN links and various things. And I, we can talk about why I moved away from that because, you know, we can get into that, but. You know, I had a I had a really large PBN network, and I did something really stupid. Is I left huge footprints, and I had been linking to all my different clients, and so then one day I woke up and my phone was just lit up with manual actions, oh, and I was God. like, oh. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm done. Like I thought I thought I was going out of business. <laughs> I was like, there's no yeah. way I'm going to be able to get out of this. Fortunately, I was able to get all the manual actions removed, and these are from my client sites. These weren't just like my sites. These are my sites, my client sites. Like they just nailed me to the wall deservingly, but yeah. still, you know, it was like, it was shocking. So I fortunately got the links removed, got the penalties removed, didn't lose a single client. So, but it was just like, that was it for me. I was like, I can't, I can't do that again. That's just, that's way too risky. I can never do that again. And so then I, I made the shift to, if you want to call white hat SEO, I just call it really content centric SEO. That's really what I, I do is just focus on the content part really hard, 
mm-hmm. then all the other pieces kind of fall into place. So we, we yep. can get into that though. So yeah, cool. In terms of the academy, did that was that part of what prompted you to do that? Just thinking because I made these really big mistakes that caused me a lot of angst and like a lot of stress. Yes, is that part of why you went? Well, maybe if there was something out there to help teach people, or what? What what prompted you to to take that part? Yeah, I mean, the the idea of creating a course was always something in the back of my mind. Like I always wanted to. I just always was interested in that model because I was like, that's pretty cool. Like you can create a course, a lot of upfront work, and then people will continue to invest in that and it's very scalable. So that was always really interesting to me. So I, I, I always wanted to do that, but that also was another thing. I was like, I could, people can learn from my mistakes. And I mean, I've probably made more mistakes than most people in this industry. I mean, I just, I'm a mistake master, but I do learn from them, fortunately. So, but the, that was probably definitely the catalyst. And so I, the funny thing is the first academy that I did, I was so afraid to be on video. I, I was deathly afraid because this is like 2016, I think. We had we were a part of the Yelp partner program, and I've told this story before. But So what they would do is they would come to your business location, which was just my apartment, and they would bring a videographer to you know shoot you, and basically you talk about your business. Man, yeah. like that was the most stressful thing I've ever had to do. Like at that time, I was like, I don't, I can't be on video. Like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say. Like, and so this guy comes and he's like, yeah, you ready to go? And I'm like, ready to go. And he, I, what am I going to say? <laughs> and so yeah. that camera turned on and I was like a deer in the headlights. And after that was all over, I was like, I'm never going to be on video again. <laughs> I, I was like, I will never do this again. It was the most embarrassing thing. So it took me a while to be like, to overcome them. So that's why, so leading into this, the first version of the Academy was a hundred percent text. There was no video. I literally wrote everything out. Like it was basically a glorified blog in a course format. So I, I got seven sales on that first one for a thousand dollars, nine ninety seven, five refunds. So I had seven sales, five refunds. And I was like, okay, yeah, that wasn't exactly the best thing. So that prompted me to say, okay, I need to do video. It needs to be, it needs to be differentiated from what my blog is, right? It needs to be, it needs to be a clear distinction because there's no, there's no value proposition if it's basically the same as my blog. So what I did is I, because I was still afraid of video, I just did over the shoulder videos for all this next version. So I just did like, you, you never saw my face, but you would just see my screen. I would go through all these different things and I'd like, a couple hundred videos like that for the next version. And then that, from that point forward, refund rate is like less than 1%. So, but we can talk about the progression of the Academy, but that's, it's gone through probably like the seventh iteration of, of this. And in its current version is definitely the best by a million miles. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about, so the curriculum, like up front, it was like you writing every piece of educational copy. And then it was yeah. you producing video to supplement the the copy has that been the case the whole way through is it is it literally like are you the the brains behind all of it or do you bring in other educators and as well no i mean i'm i'm the sole creator of the content yeah i've i've just for me like it has to be like that because yep. i mean you named it gotch so yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also like, I don't know about you. I, I've, I've invested probably hundreds of thousands of dollars into training over the, the you know, courses, whatever. And I can tell you, I've, experienced many bait and switches in my career of buying courses. So you'll say, hey, this is going to be taught by da, 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 da. You get into the training and then they're not the one teaching the training. And you're like, well, I didn't sign up for someone to just read a script. I signed up to learn from the guy. And for me, like 
I've just felt that you need, like, if you're going to join a course, you want to learn from the guy. Like if I joined a course from Gary Vaynerchuk, I wouldn't want to learn from his, one of his team members. I want to learn from him. Right. And this, they, this has been happening for a long time, even outside of course creation. Like if you go to some of these conferences for some of these like influencer people, you'll be like, oh, I'm going to go learn from Robert Kiyosaki. And then you go there and it's not even him. And you're like, what? Yeah. So tell, tell me about the, the progression of, of the Academy. So you've, you've moved to the video, video content, like tell, let's talk through some results in terms of, you, you mentioned the retention rate is, is like, you know, sky high now, which is great, but over what years and how many students are you bringing on and, and how have you been acquiring those students? I'll talk about how the academy's changed and I'll talk about how I, how it's, how I've sold it and how the results of that. But so the, so the first version of the academy, like I mentioned, was tech. Second version was over the shoulder video. That was pretty horrendous, like bad <laughs> audio, like way, way over, like way too long. Just like, yeah. just what you would expect from someone who doesn't do video, right? It was just like, it was bad. So then the next, the next version, I was like, I need to scrap all these and just rebuild them again. So I rebuilt it, had better audio, things got a little bit better. And so it kind of just kept going through those different versions of like progressively getting better and better as far as the video goes. Now, as far as I, as how I was selling it, back then, I pretty much just did the launch model. So I did the Jeff Walker launch model. I would open it up a couple times a year for a week and then I would close it. So open, close, open, close. And so my first first launch, I probably did like 30,000 in the first week. And then eventually I got up to like the six figure launch, which I thought was pretty cool to make, to make that in a, you know, in a week. But now I did that for a long time up until 2021. I did that kind of like thousand dollars to join. It's kind of on demand. So you, you know, you join, you can go through the course. We had a little Facebook group, but the problem was I could not stand the fact that people weren't actually going through the training. That just like bothered me more than anything. Because if you know, like statistically, roughly, they say like 10% of people who join courses actually finish them, like online courses. I didn't know yeah. that, but that doesn't surprise yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's really, really low. And when I found that stat, first I found that stat and I was like, what? That can't be the case for mine. And then I go and look and mine was like 15% completion rate. And I was like, what in the world? I was so like upset because I was like, if you did, if you go through this training, I know you're going to get results. Like I, I know that for a fact. And so that really kind of, that kind of bothered me. And so I was like, something needs to change, right? Something needs to change. And fortunately I met my, my now partner, Simon, and he had been working for a different SEO training program. It is like a high ticket program. And he, we talked and he's like, yeah, you need to switch to kind of a higher ticket model because you're going to attract a different type of person who's going to want to go through. And when you have more skin in the game, you tend to care more about, right? So if you're paying a thousand bucks versus $10,000, you're going to care a lot more when you've paid 10 grand. Right. So you're gonna be like, well, I need to get a lot out of this. Like this is a big investment. Right. So, so what we did in 2021, we did a lot, but we changed the whole model of the Academy. So instead of an on-demand course where you could just go through and a Facebook group, what we did is we made it a kind of a hybrid training and coaching program. So first thing I did was I got off Facebook and I, I saw the writing on the wall in 2020 or so the Facebook groups were on the decline. Like I just, I knew it. And I had spoken with a, a coach as well, who was kind of like a community coach who specialized in growing communities. And he was like, yeah, get off Facebook. And I was like, all right. So we moved to a custom build on WordPress, which is a combination of Buddy Boss and WordDash. And so we built this whole platform from scratch. Uh, and so now it's like, it's just ours. Like there's no platform like it. 
we have leaderboards, we have, you know, gamification, all kinds of cool stuff in there. But the big part of it that really changed was I, I rebuilt the training again this time with using, and this time I, I, the big difference was that instead of it being kind of like, what is SEO? What is keyword research? What, it wasn't like that. It's more focused on like, this is the exact process you need to follow from A to Z and like actually showing each part of it as if, if, if the exact process I use in our agency with clients, right? Just from, from A to Z. And then the- Interestingly, the sorry to interject, but that yeah. we're circling back on where we were around like AI and the what is, what yeah. is versus the, sub, you know, the subjective, the contextual, how do you apply this? Like what is actually going to be useful for that person? Really interesting. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so then the last piece of this, which was something I was like really hesitant to do, but my business partner was like, you have to do this. And he told me, he's like, you need to do coaching calls. And I was like, coaching calls? Like, I don't want to get on every week. And he's like, no, you have to do them twice a week. And I was like, twice a week? <laughs> yeah. Oh, if I can do that. So anyway, in May of 2000, I think it was May of 2021, I started doing these coaching calls and I did them twice a week. And I've been doing them ever since twice a week coaching calls. And I just cannot express how much of a difference it made in completion rates, NPS scores, like everything across the board. It's completely changed the game. It's it's insane how much better everything is now that I, I've done that. And the, the, you know, there's so many reasons for that, but it, at the end of the day, like there's a lot of subconscious things happening when you do, when you add a coaching component, because if I show up every Tuesday and Thursday, you kind of want to show up too. You kind of yeah. want to do the work too. Cause like, oh, well, Nathan's showing up. So like better show up, you know? So it's, and of course, like the value that I can add on a call and look specifically at someone's campaign in real time and help them. Obviously it's very valuable, but it's also just the the consistency. And then even going back, you know, we, to kind of circle back to the AI piece, AI can't do that. AI can't, AI can't build a relationship with someone. We can't have this conversation. They can't have a conversation with you. Maybe Maybe eventually, you know, I could be just a robot and then, but for now, the the human connection is so huge. And that was the big missing piece that I, I didn't understand when I was doing my courses before. Cause I was like, there's kind of this mentality when you create a course, like I'm just going to try to make as much money as possible in the most scalable way possible. Nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of courses that do that. That's totally cool. That's fine. But for me, I just couldn't stand the fact that people were getting the most value possible out of what I was doing. And I would rather make less money than you know, have people not actually get the results that I said they would get. And even if it's not technically my fault, I still take accountability for it. So that's why I had to change that model. Now, the big difference between the old model and the new model is that the new model is a much bigger investment. Yep. <laughs> so, yep, yep. And that's because I'm actually showing up literally like you know, twice a week. So, and I, I charge businesses $2,000 an hour just to get a one hour consulting session. So, you know, it's just to see the difference, like it, it's night and day. It's nine day. So yeah, we can, we can get into a lot of stuff, but it, it, that transition has been just, just huge, huge. And there's also that so. accountability piece. Like if Nathan's going to be there every week, Tuesday and Thursday, and I said to him last week that, you know, these are the things I need to work on. I've got to show up, even if they cram it the night before so yeah. they can show yeah. you what's there. It's getting them moving forward. You know, there's traction, forced traction. Yeah. yeah. And just fun, fun fact, we have 80% completion right now. There you go. On our courses. So there it used go. to be 15. Now it's 80. Yep. Shocking. Super cool. I love that. I love that. So where do you see the Academy moving forward now? Like what do you see as like key to your future sort of roadmap? Yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of things coming up here. I mean, we're building an SEO tool right now that's going to be competitor to some, 
some people out there. So we're keeping it kind of quiet right now, but that's going to be one piece that's going to integrate really well within the program. But, but yeah, as far as the training goes, you know, there's just so like, I've been doing SEO now since 2011 and there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in between that time. But I'll tell you the most exciting time was when it was kind of like the wild, wild west. Like yeah. you could just, you could just create a site within 30 days. You could get, start getting traffic, right? That was awesome. Then Google obviously, you know, laid the hammer down on a lot of those tactics. And that was a really exciting time. And then for a long time, SEO has been, not a lot has changed, right? Not a lot has changed from, you know, those early days to now until the AI. The last couple of years with, with you know, NLP and AI, I, this is the most exciting time I've, I've felt since that time. Like this is the most excited I've been about SEO because the, the potential to use these tools to our advantage is just so huge at this point. And I just think it's a really exciting time. So for us, it's going to be continually updating that content because man, things are changing so fast at this point. So, but the one thing I have realized, because I've been doing this for a long time is like, I always look for what's going to be that evergreen component that's not really going to change. And so that's why like with content, I'm always focused on like, what's going to be that evergreen thing? Because content at the end of the day is always going to be the thing, right? That's the lead domino for everything else. So, but yeah, just trying to find those, you know, refining the, the content, keeping it up to date. And then of course, continuing these coaching calls. That's kind of just the path forward for now. So, yeah. Yeah. And that evergreen stuff, like that's, I've got Eli Swartz with his book, Product Led SEO. I remember I asked him, I've, you know, hung out a couple of times and the like, but I, me I remember I asked him when I first interviewed him, like prompted you to write a book about something that just changes every month. like, it doesn't seem like a, a very sound decision. And he's like, oh, well, you know, the intent of the searcher doesn't really change. Like they, they go there to ask something, to find something out and Google wants to give them something that's of value. So right. that's the kind of foundational evergreen type content you're talking about. Like as long as we understand what that, the purpose of the engine is and how Google would like to, to provide value, then that does give you like a foundation to stay relevant for a long period of time. But then you've got, you know, AI and all these different bits and pieces, which I'd like to get into now because it's something which I actually personally, literally yesterday had a, an aha moment with ChatGPT because I've been playing on it. It's all over our feeds, LinkedIn, Twitter, everything else. So I've been yeah. jumping on, I've been playing with it and I can't get anything interesting out of it. And I was saying to a friend the other day, I'm like, I don't see how everyone's saying this is going to revolutionize stuff. <laughs> I'm just bored by this little tool. And then I was talking to a guy yesterday, a mate of mine, Jay, and he was talking about goal setting, OKRs he uses for his business. And he's like, oh, how do you create yours? And I talked about our leadership team and you know an annual day and we plan it out. And he's like, oh, I just use ChatGPT. <laughs> and I'm like, really? And he took me through, he showed me how he did it within the, not the ChatGPT, but the, the one which is longer, the bigger screen, where you ask yeah. a question, then you peg back to the first question, you peg back, you peg back. And it just by drilling down into it, he was able to pull out the most amazing industry specific, really clear goals and, and process and paths, which obviously he had to refine himself, but it just opened my eyes to, oh, it's a, like, it's, it's a tool which, you know, you kind of get better at using, but that for me was like a, okay, all right, I need to get in there again and start using this more. Now, I, I know that you've been, you were kind of early to the game on, on saying that you think that this is going to be a big competitor of Google's. Yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts? We know AI is is huge. We know it's it's growing. We people are going to get better at understanding how to use it. But in terms of like the the, the versus Google part of it, and we've spoken earlier about maybe that top of funnel, the really obvious things. But do you see it? How big a competitor to Google? I, I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 
my guess is as good as yours, right? I mean, we just don't we just don't know how this is going to unfold, but I just know that when a tool is able to answer questions quickly and the fact that people trust information very easily, you have a lethal combination, right? And people, even if, even if, cause you know, there's a lot of talk about the accuracy and all that stuff, very valid criticisms, but we have to remember that people just accept information at face value. I mean, we, you, we know that 80% of people don't read past headlines. So do we expect them to be like, well, it's not right. I'm going to go research this further. They'll be like, no, it's probably right. I'm just going to move on with my day. Right. And so people think that like, oh no, people love to research and people, no, they don't. Like <laughs> the, 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 there's, there's proof that that's not true. Like people are, people are headline readers. People want quick information. I mean, it's our, it's literally our culture at this point is speed of everything. So if a tool, if you can go to a tool and ask it a question, it can deliver something in a second, most people will be satisfied with that. So as far as how it will be a competitor, it's hard to say how that's going to kind of look. I know Google has similar technology. I don't know why they're sitting on it. I don't know why they're not moving faster. Maybe they're on their heels and expect that this would happen. Obviously talks with Microsoft is potentially going to acquire OpenAI. So you know, that's pretty frightening for Google, but the, another huge company that could potentially have this technology and use it in the right way. But, but as far as like, there, there's some clear distinctions between the, the, the language model versus search, right? And so chat GPT is doing things that search was never designed to do. Like, for example, I built, I built a, a piece of link that I had published a YouTube video a couple of weeks ago where I literally created LinkBay with ChatGPT. It, it built the code. Yeah, built the code for me. And I put it up on the site within like an hour, hour and a half. That thing was live, right? And like no coding experience. I mean, I have I have decent, like just enough to survive, like I, HTML, CSS. But once it's JavaScript, I'm out. Like, I, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, so like that Google was never designed to do that. Like that's not its, that's not its thing. It's a search engine, right? So... But the clear distinction, and I, I did this well, that early video where I was like, is this going to kill Google? Which you know, I'm, I'm just playing games because I know people will get so upset about it. But but the big difference is ChatGPT does not do well for bottom of the funnel or middle of the, middle of the funnel keywords. It just can't. Like if I look up best OLED TV, it can't. Right now, it can't handle that. It can't. It can't give you information about that because it's very subjective in nature. Which we're going back to the original thing. So, what are what are the best Italian restaurants in St. Louis? I mean, it could theoretically pull reviews, but it would have to pull reviews from Google, right? So, so no matter what, Google's still going to win on those middle to bottom of the funnel keywords because it still needs user generated subjectivity to be able to answer those things. So, so it's not like you know it's just going to eradicate Google, but it's it's going to change certain things. Like, and even for me, like my behavior, I've been click on that chat GPT on a daily basis, daily basis. I'm on there doing something like using it in some way, whether it's creating FAQ on a website, create, you know, just I'm always doing something with it because it's, it's just more valuable than Google. It's more useful. And you know, that's a dangerous thing for Google. So that's all I was trying to say when I said, is it going to be a killer? It's just this is a real technology that has real implications. And maybe it won't even be ChatGPT. Maybe it'll be some other company that comes and does it. But I think that's the there's thing. just I a lot of implications. Yeah, it's it's the implications of it. It's the application of it too. Like we're talking about different intent potentially. You know, it's not it's not going to replace a search engine. It's not a search engine. So no. there's not like Google's here. Okay, Google removes and this sits in its place. Like it's it's more you know us getting better at at being able to apply it. It's more like a potentially like a paradigm shift in the way that we use all this all this information online, just like search engines were back in the day, you know? So it's, you know, in 10 years time, we'll probably all laugh 
like the way how quaint was it that we didn't see this coming but i think it is potentially just going to change just the way we access information online and the way we apply that not maybe not necessarily the way that you know search engines are searched all right so i'm gonna just go through i've got a few bits and pieces from your linkedin i love your content so i'm just gonna go through some of them and i'm, I'm just gonna go really or just explain to me in a bit more detail <laughs> okay all right seo this is on linkedin seo isn't a zero-sum game every com competitor can be beaten with enough budget and time really every competitor yeah yeah so people lose their minds when i say certain things <laughs> yeah, i know that's why i want to ask but but that I'm doing like, that's the funny part. Like when, when you read these little snippets, it's like, it's amazing that people don't realize what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly trying to be polarizing to get engagement. So like, and so that's, and I don't have, I can't get on a call like this and explain every LinkedIn post that I do. <laughs> yeah. like, you know? So, yeah, yeah. so, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually do believe that with enough budget and enough time, anyone can be beat, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, if you're competing in a super, like super competitive market, you're dealing with high authority, right? And that's just that's just a matter of narrowing that gap between you and those high authorities. So if you had enough budget, you could technically narrow that gap at a faster rate. And if you could potentially have enough time, you could catch up, right? Now, is that likely? No, <laughs> because there's no budget that's going to help you catch up with Amazon, right? You just it's just not feasible. But what I'm saying is like because that that concept you can now as far as zero sum game SEO is clearly a, a pure zero sum game. I mean, there's only one winner at the top. But what I was saying is that you can be number two, you can be number three, and you can still get benefits, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes people get so fixed I need to be number one, which is true in a lot of cases because of all the surf features and all things that affect CTR now. But but you can still do very very well getting the number two, right? So it's not like just because there's one guy, number one, everyone else is done for and no one gets any traffic. It's not like that. Yeah, everyone can get, even it, he can be number five and still get a little trickle of traffic in there sometimes. So so that's kind of the more context of what that gotcha. <laughs> LinkedIn gotcha. And what I kind of read into it too is like, you know, if you've got enough budget and enough time. So sure, if you've got yeah. millions of dollars and 10 years to do it, we'll get you there. You know what I mean? Right. Like there is, yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those open-ended things. Another one I saw that I liked, Math is your friend in SEO. If your competitors have X amount of backlinks, you need X or more. Discuss. Yeah, yeah this, this is another one that makes people upset. So I left out one word in that, which was quality backlinks. So of course, if you leave out one word in something, oh man, everyone loses their mind. But it's funny, if you go back and look at my content, I, I published an article about link building in 2014 talking about quality links and my whole criteria for quality links. So you know, let, let the record show that I understand that it's the quality as well. But it, for me, it is, it's that, that LinkedIn post is more about the gaps. So when we're, when we're starting a new campaign, we're clearly looking at the gaps between us and the competitors. If they have tremendous website authority and they have tremendous links going to the pages that we're trying to beat them on, well, yeah, it is math. We need to narrow those gaps. Like we need to get links of similar authority that are relevant, that we need to at least narrow that gap and then exceed that be able to beat them. And I've never seen a situation where that's not true. I mean, it just is. Website authority is the king of all things as far as ranking. I mean, we know that. That's why Forbes and Huffington Post and all these sites, they can rank without getting any links to the actual page that they just published, you know, because their site authority is so strong. But then on, we're, so like when we're looking at our link building campaign, we're looking at, like, if we take one keyword, we put it into, let's say, Ahrefs and the keyword explorer. First thing I look at is like, who is ranking here? I want to know that the strength of the domain's ranking. If I see some weaknesses in that SERP, I'm excited, right? So if I see like, okay, DR90, DR70, and all of a sudden like DR20, I'm like, oh, 
you're yes. you're the one that I'm going to go after. Okay, yes. so so I see that, but then I also look on the page level. How many links do we need on the page level to be able to get there? Now, when I'm talking about links, it's clearly the only links we're trying to get are editorial high quality links, right? So, but of course, LinkedIn posts, you don't have that level of context available. So, yeah. Another one, which I, when I read it, I must admit, I thought, I know where he's going with this, but I've got to read the comments because I know people are going to like blow up. It was traffic that doesn't lead to conversions is a waste of SEO. So first of my mind, I'm like, of course, it doesn't necessarily mean the last click is converting to a sale. It just means that at some point that traffic has to have some meaning to convert at some point. Right. So that's where my head was, but I'm like, everyone else is going to be reading this is like, oh, he's just talking about bottom of funnel transactional SEO. And of course you read through the comments and that's exactly what's there. But I, I having had like a, you know, 45 minute conversation with you now, I can see you're just stirring the pot a bit yeah. and, and, and sort of starting some conversation. You know, the reason that that particular idea was because of experience. Right. So I, and the reason why people get, let's say, upset by that is because maybe they're a part of the problem. Okay. So I've talked to countless prospects. I've lost count of the prospects that I talked to. We get on a discovery call. I see their side and they're like, yeah, our traffic's just been climbing, but our conversions are like this. And I'm like, oh, well, I wonder why that is. So let's go look at your keywords. Oh, look at that. You're ranking for a bunch of top of the funnel keywords that don't actually drive conversions because the SEO company wanted to juice their numbers to make it look like they're doing something because they want to avoid the bottom of the funnel keywords that are actually hard to rank for. So that's what I'm talking about is the, the, the juicing of traffic numbers, which is so prevalent. I've seen it just so many times. So I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's just not the right thing to do. And that's why I like it when I teach keyword research, I say bottom of the funnel, work your way up because everything should be built around the bottom of the funnel. Everything should be built around conversions. And otherwise, I mean, the only exception I'll say is if you're doing, you're, you're monetized through ads, okay? If you're monetized through ads, theoretically just getting traffic should be the play that you should go. But even then, if that is your play, you don't want to just target any keyword. You want to target keywords that are going to have a high click value, right? You want to target with that high advertiser value, high CPMs. You don't want to just target some stupid keywords just because they have high volume, right? So so that's why that's kind of where that stems from is it's this isn't just about traffic, right? This is about the intent of those keywords and ultimately will those lead to conversions? I mean, I'd rather target a keyword that has a hundred searches a month if I'm going to get tons of sales from it versus targeting funny cat pictures that gets a hundred thousand searches a month, but I'll make a single sale, right? So it's, it's getting out of this mentality of vanity metrics and vanity traffic just to be able to post your little traffic chart on LinkedIn and say, look what I did. But it's like, okay, well, show us the conversions, you know? And so that's for me is like, that's where that stems from. I know it's like, so short, I can't explain that, but that's yeah. where, that's where that's where it comes from. I so, hear. You. I just my mind just straight away went to one of our clients whose previous agency was like almost purely focused on top of funnel for their organic. And if we look at their ranking chart, if you were to look at it in Semrush, you'd see since we've taken over, like the indexation and the rankings have gone down. But then if we were to overlay revenue on the top, because we've focused on mid and lower funnel, the right. organic revenue has gone up substantially. So it's that extra yeah. level of, okay, well, what's the purpose of this? They're already ranking really great for lots of top of funnel terms, which maybe some of them will hold on to, but like there's nothing happening mid, there's bugger all happening bottom of funnel. So let's shift our energy there and see what we can get from a revenue perspective. And you know, right. exactly well, and, and a lot of the time too, like when it is that top of the funnel approach, 
they'll target keywords that don't actually help build topical authority. So they're just going after based on search volume and maybe KD, like, oh, let's go after this because that could juice the numbers. But they're not thinking about like, well, will this support that bottom of the funnel keyword, which will help improve that bottom of the funnel keywords performance, right? So like I've literally, I've had campaigns where we've decreased clients' traffic, increased their revenue. Yeah. So because we just, yeah. we told them like, you're you're ranking for garbage. Like this is like, Hey, this isn't doing anything for you. It's actually hurting you for even ranking for, you know, what is the weather like in St. Louis when you're a personal injury lawyer? Like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, why Why would you do that? But it's more prevalent than you would think. And I'm sure yeah. you know this. So, yeah. yeah. The last one I had, which we've actually spoken about already, but I just, I love the, I just love the, it was just good copy. I can spot a fake SEO expert in two seconds. How? Their lack of battle scars. And what you've spoken about today, just in terms of like getting hit by algos, manuals, all these different things. I guess the true heart of a, of a great SEO is that, you know, that curious nature, experimenting, that sort of thing. And, and you know, by the very fact that experiments, are, I don't know what's going to happen here, so I'm going to test it. You, you're going to get burnt along the way. Things are going to happen. So I quite like that, just that comment. I'm talking to a client and they're telling me, like I'm personally, not to get all salesy, but like I, I'm very clear on what we can and can't do, what we're not a fit for, stuff we've buggered up in the past because... I don't know. I just feel like if you can come with a bit more authenticity, at the very least, they know the questions to ask someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's post is just me in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I can um, say that now. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, I, it's failing is failing is a part of this journey. And if you don't have any failures, then I just don't, I can't relate. Because every every successful entrepreneur, every successful SEO that I know, real successful, not like LinkedIn successful or Twitter successful, like really successful, we, we could talk all day about the battle scars that they have. It's just endless, you know? And so I've never met a single one who doesn't have it. So when I, when I see someone who's like, I've never had an SEO campaign that's failed, and I'm like, okay, well, have you worked on three campaigns? You know, like yeah. everyone's, ha everyone's had failures. You just, and in fact... The only way you haven't had a failure in SEO is if you rank number one for every single keyword that you've ever targeted. And I don't know anyone that's done that personally. No. So, no. so that's the way I think about it. Excellent. Nathan, this has been an awesome conversation. Really candid. Love it. Love the honesty. So I appreciate your time. Now, we're going to get into our Vox Pop. Now, this is some questions I ask every guest. I'm going to whip through them pretty quick. So I just want you to not think too hard. I'm going to say it. Boom. Give me an answer. And then, and then we'll wrap up. So... We'll kick off from now. Which previous Google algo change still keeps you up at night? Penguin. Penguin for sure. Yeah, that was a devastating one. I, I lost a lot of sites because of my, my Greyhound link building. Yes, yeah. that one for sure. Great. What is your favorite non-obvious software tool that you use every day to research or execute? Hemingway Editor. That's probably the one I use on a daily basis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, one. I'm always I'm always putting my content in there. When I'm writing tweets, I'm writing LinkedIn posts. Any content goes in there first, and that's where it, I guess you want to say the magic happens. So okay, yeah. love it. Brevity for the win. Gun to your head. Which do you prefer, content or links? Content, content. Any day of the week, because there's no there's no links without content. So, what's the most effective link building technique that you've used? Ooh, man, there's some good ones. I have to say the one that I created, or at least I coined the merger technique has been the most successful thing that I've used through the years, which is finding relevant domains, sometimes expired, sometimes actual live businesses, and then acquiring those and then real and redirect them to your site through an acquisition. I mean, it is, it does big things, big things. Yeah. So, okay, great. Yeah. 
is the skyscraper technique still relevant today? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, that's, talk about evergreen. I mean, that's a very evergreen methodology that it just isn't going to change. Like you're going to look at the competitors and say, okay, well, I'm going to create something that's 10 times better than them. So, and usually I think, I think that's been misinterpreted a lot. So like when Brian originally published that, like, I think the interpretation was like, oh, I need to create something that's 10 times longer. <laughs> yeah. But the, it's, that's not true. It's about being 10 times better. So that may be just a different design. That may be a different angle. That may be. So yeah, I think that will be the, the case forever, honestly. So, okay. yeah. What do you love most about SEO? Oh man, the experimentation, the change, the competition. I, I just love competition. I mean, it's a con there's no, it's, there's a never ending war, right? You're just in little tiny battles all the time. And I just love watching. I just like winning. <laughs> I just like, yeah. I like, I like beating people. It's cause it's, it's all like, for me, it's all one big game. And that's why I think it's, I think it's why I've thrived in this industry in particular, because it goes back to my gaming background. So like I, I played competitive sports. I played competitive video games. I just like the win lose type of thing. So I think it just might, maybe my, what for better or for worse, that's just how I am. So I think that's actually a very underrated unknown skill of SEOs. They're just super competitive. That's like, it yeah. comes up so often because SEO is a race to you know, page one to position one. And people yeah. don't realize that, that, that it is like, it's a real key driver for great SEOs. Oh yeah. And then even if he gets a number one, it's not even over. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. even when you do technically win, you're just, yeah. you're just you there guess. maybe temporarily. Exactly. So, yeah. How do you apply SEO principles to your daily life? You know, I think because I got started in SEO and I built a business around SEO, I think it helped a lot with being an entrepreneur too, because being an entrepreneur is all about failing, right? The, the speed of failing needs to be fast. Like we need to make mistakes and we need to make adjustments and pivot. And I think SEO is very similar like that. Like you need to constantly be making adjustments because not everything goes according to plan. You could have the perfect blueprint to rank, but you get a client that's like, you've never seen something so hor horrific. And you're like, okay, we got to change our whole strategy here and just focus on this. You know, maybe they have extensive keyword cannibalization to the level that you can't even think about link building. You just got to fix this thing. So it's just the constant iteration, the constant pivots that I think have translated well into maybe my business mentality, my entrepreneurship mentality, even, even the way I'm raising my kids now, like I'm encouraging them to make mistakes. Like it's just an important thing. You need to make mistakes. You don't learn if you don't. I just, I don't know. I, maybe I make more mistakes than others, but at least I think it, I think it really helps a lot. So sure. work from home life or office life or hybrid life. 100% home. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was already doing that before COVID. So it was, a, there was no transitionary period. I would say the only thing that really changed was I have two children now. <laughs> so that's, you know, that there's a little different, like when I need to record videos, I have to like tell the whole house, like, Hey, I'm recording YouTube videos. Can you not be screaming or, you know, so it's like, you just got to work around, you know, be, be adaptable. Right. And so, but I, I working from home is the best. I just, I would, we actually, in 2015, we actually did get an office, a little small office. And funny thing is we only went there probably like 1% of the time. So I was just paying for this office and I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Why are we doing this? I just shut it down. We, and then we never went back. So I, I, I don't see, I don't envision any scenario where I would. The only possibility is like, maybe I'd get like a studio for recording just so I could like be able to go and knock stuff out. But as far as like a traditional office environment, I, I don't think I can do that. So SEMrush or HREPS, what's your preference? 
Ooh, that's a tricky one. Well, I had a collaboration with SEMrush, so I, I guess it's a conflict of interest for me to answer that question. But like, I love them both, honestly. Like, even if I didn't have a collaboration, I'd say the same thing. I mean, they're both, like, there's tons of SEO tools, but there's really only two juggernauts at the top. And it's Ahrefs and SEMrush. So if you want, whichever one, whichever user interface you prefer, you can't go wrong. I really actually do. And you'll see in my videos, I use both of them all the time. So yeah, they're, they're great. Last one, agency or in-house or combo? Whatever thing's the best mix. Talk about like if you're choosing, if you had to pick one. Yeah, for a business, what, what do you think is a best op option for them? Oh man, so that really depends on where you're at in life, I think. I think if you're younger and you can tolerate more risk, I think you should try to get clients because the freedom is just so worth it. But if you're maybe a little more established, maybe you got a little family going, I would probably go in-house. Probably, if, it depends on where you are in your, your, your journey, right? If you're brand new to SEO, I actually think going into an agency and working in the agency is a really good idea because you learn to see how agencies operate, which is really good. Like, yeah, you learn the SEO, but you get to see how they handle, you know, the load of all the clients. That's really important. Then I would say if you want to continue on a trajectory, just becoming in-house at like a company, not an agency is a good, you know, you're going to get paid much more doing that. And then building out your own side projects. Like it, speaking of controversial, I said something before on Twitter where I was like, I can't believe how many SEOs don't have their own side projects. And people like lost their mind. Like it was like, oh, we're so overworked. How could you say that? And I'm like, because you have an incredible skill that you can use. And I understand not everyone cares about making money. I do. So I, I you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. That's what I want to do. I'm always thinking about building things, but I know everyone's different, but for me to see someone who has a skill that they're not using to their advantage, it almost pains me a little bit. So, so I would say like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to build a business like in the SEO world, like get the experience of working in an agency, get the experience working in house, but at the same time, just be working on those projects. So then you, know, you can build enough income and then eventually leave those jobs and have a good business. You don't have to be as extreme as me and like just go all in like that. I, I'm actually writing a book right now about how to start an SEO business, but I talk about these different levels and like, I'm just an extreme case. Like I started on with a $500 credit card limit. Like, <laughs> like I, I, maybe I'm a little more risky than others. So I wouldn't model my behavior. So yeah. Cool. We touched on a bit of that too. I had Nick Leroy on actually was coming up soon. He's great. And yeah, he's a big proponent of, of you know, SEOs using those skills, going freelance and you know the opportunities there. But I think you're, you're spot on. Like you can learn so much in an agency about volume, about process. You can learn so much brand side about you know actually getting you know working with other marketers within that team and how that fits oh, yeah. in. And then obviously taking those very skills different. to do your own thing. You know, is it's a very valuable skill set. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Nathan, thank you. Amazing conversation. Appreciate yeah, it. some really cool, really cool hearing about your journey, hearing about the mistakes that you made along the way, the development of the academy, and then sort of digging into some of those bits and pieces around AI and, and some other things that are happening. So what's the best way that people can, if they want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best way to, to reach out? Yeah, I mean, just gotcha.co.com, probably the best place to go. You know, you obviously you can look into the academy or I do take on a limited amount of clients now, but it's quite expensive to work with me, I will admit. So, you know, that is there. And then, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, Nathan Gotch, and then of course, YouTube. So you can search Gotcha SEO on YouTube and find me. So Excellent. Nathan, thank you so much. Okay, guys. Well, that's been another episode of SEO Success Stories. If you've enjoyed Nathan's content and what we've discussed today, reach out to him just as you mentioned now. And if you enjoyed the episode and you do enjoy these episodes, I would love if you wrote us a five-star review. We are still on our Apple Podcasts review hunt. That's basically, I think we're up to, was it 50 or 60? So if we can keep building that up, it's a niche podcast, but we do love that positive feedback. Thanks for listening in. We'll be back in a couple of weeks time. 
Really appreciate it. Nathan, thanks again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.